all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. for joining us today on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And today we're going to be talking about kind of staying healthy and living well with diabetes. Um, Diabetes is an incredibly common medical condition nationally, globally, but especially here in Mississippi. And there are important things that we can do to stay healthy when we have diabetes or pre-diabetes. If you have a question or a comment for us, you can give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email us, fit at org. And you can always do that, guys, not just when we're on the air. You can send us messages that way and we'll get back to you. Or you can hop over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and post your question there or send it to me. And I do have a thread going on this morning that says, what is the most important thing that you can do to control your blood sugar and prevent complications from diabetes. And so if you have a tip or a trick uh, that you would like to share with us, you can drop it over there and um, I'll be happy to share it with the, with the listeners. So I think it's important that we kind of start with um, what exactly diabetes is. And that can seem pretty doggone basic, but I think it's a misunderstood condition a lot of times as well. So there are different types of diabetes. The two most common ones that we think of are um, type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes. Type 1 is usually more of um, usually what we see in children, although there are late kind of onset type 1s as well. But it's usually in, in younger folks whereas type 2 is usually in older um, adults. But that that doesn't always hold true. There are younger folks with uh, type 2 diabetes as well. When we're talking about diabetes, it's we're talking about insulin, right, an insulin issue. And the difference between type 1 and type 2 is what the body is doing in terms of insulin. Insulin is a hormone that is secreted from your pancreas, which is probably not an organ that people think a whole lot about, but it is very, very important for keeping our blood sugar or blood glucose in the normal range. When um, anyone 
right? Us right now, sitting here right now, we have kind of background insulin um, being um, excreted from our pancreas that just keeps our blood sugar in, a, in a, an even pattern. When we eat or drink something that has uh, carbohydrates in it, um, or really, you know, anything, but not water, uh, we, uh, our pancreas, when it's working like it's supposed to, will pump out a little extra insulin to help us take care of that extra sugar, that extra blood glucose. Because the purpose of that blood glucose is to run our body, right? All of our cells uh, use that sugar for energy, but it has to get from in our bloodstream um, into the cells to be used. And insulin is the key to doing that. It opens the cell up and helps the insulin get taken up into there. So for type people with type one diabetes, usually their pancreas um, stops making insulin, usually from an autoimmune type issue. Um, with type 2 diabetes, we have what's called insulin resistance, meaning we don't um, use our body's insulin as effectively as we should. It, it, when it gets to the cell to help the sugar get into it, uh, something's like, nope, uh, you're not getting in here, and we just don't use our insulin as effectively. And so that's kind of the big differences between that type 1 and that type 2, and so how we treat it is a little different as well. But we'll take a pause from that and go over to the phone lines because we have John in Bentonia this morning. Hello, John. You're on the air. What can I do for you today? Hey, um, uh, glad glad I could uh, add a comment here. Um, sure. I've, I've, I've uh, uh, dealt with this uh uh, sugar monster on my back uh, for 55 plus some year, some odd years, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, basically have survived uh, complication free due to due to tight management that I, you know, mm -hmm. uh, back in the 80s, you know, when meters came out, you know, I was right on top of that and stuff, and uh, you know, the new apps they're using. I'm not a proponent of the continuous glucose monitoring basically that every one of these inventions they come out with uh it, they they tend to look like things that people that don't have diabetes and deal with it hour by hour uh you know came up with and are, and you know the marketing gurus uh, push them too much as in pumps and continuous glucose monitoring they all have weak links, which are the infusion sites. So mm -hmm. I don't really want to harp on that, but you know, I kind of want to want to make that comment. The bigger comment that I want to make, and I tried to get Dr. Rick to understand this when when I was uh, when I worked at UMC. I re I'm retired now. Congrats on retirement! It's kind of a, it's kind it of a grammar. <laughs> it's kind of a grammar thing. Okay. Okay. And 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 I even called in years ago when um, Rita Brent was was a was a call answerer, a screener, and tried to get her to relay it to Dr. Rick that there are two main types of of diabetes, and that's plural. Okay, mm -hmm. there is type one diabetes, and that's singular, and there's type to diabetes, and there are, you know, there's a an sundry of others. You know, there's um, uh, gestational know, uh, pre pregnancy. And, yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm 
forgetting some of the terminology basically, but <laughs> um, you know, the, it, the, that's, that's the grammar lesson. I'd like to have folks in the South understand that diabetes is the plural form of diabetes. It is not the singular. When you say type two diabetes, you know, you're, you're saying it, you know, a little confusingly is the best diplomatic way I can put it. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I, you know, I've never thought of that. And that's going to take me a little, um, a little training to get used to not saying it that way, but I'll do my best. Right. Uh, to, but I've never thought of it that way. Um, think, think, think back cool. when, think back of, uh, the old, uh, and, and, you know, there's all these marketing companies that try to sell diabetes supplies. Wilford Brimley, the old fat type two diabetic uh, yes. back in, <laughs> you remember him? He used to have a commercial and, and he used to say, you know, I've had diabetes, you know, it's like, Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. He actually said it right. You know? So, you know, he, he, and, and that's so long ago, nobody remembers it, but that is oh, I the best it. way Absolutely. to understand what I'm, the point I'm trying to get across here. So, uh-huh. um, because that's awesome. that really be- brings up confusion in people, I think, because they they get confused about what you're talking about. You know, 90 plus percent of the people have type 2 diabetes. And when you say diabe- type 2 diabetes or you say diabetes, you're going, well, which one are you talking about? You know, right. One Absolutely. Or two. Thank- you know, we're both. Yeah. Or, you know, what is it? You know, <laughs> so. And, and you know, you don't really want to be, you know, when you're talking about life and death uh, control issues, you don't really want to be confusing the issue with, with a little, you know, grammar misslip, you know, miss, miss or whatever. So anyway, I, thank you for letting me ramble on here. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to be uh, having that <laughs> a bad habit of that lately or not lately. Well, that's it's, it's all been right. A, that's been all a right. That's what problem. we're here for. That's what we're but here I, for. I really appreciate. And, and, I really appreciate. It. I'll, I'll get off the line and let you guys discuss. You know, whatever you need to. Oh, absolutely, right? absolutely. Thank you so much for giving us a call today. All right. And if you guys have a question or a comment for us, you can give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. Um, so again, I have that thread going up over on Facebook uh, where you can drop your tip or trick or question about how to keep your blood sugar levels under control. We were talking about the difference between type 1 and type 2, and our caller actually brought up or, or hinted at uh, something that I wanted to talk about, and that is checking those blood sugar levels um, and when you should do it, how often you should do it, and what the numbers mean. And really that you know, we're going to talk about generalities today in terms of what those numbers should be. Your individual blood sugar goals should be mutually developed between yourself and your regular healthcare provider, your diabetes educator, your team that is taking care of you. Um, but when we talk about blood glucose control or blood sugar control, um, there's a couple of different numbers that we can look at, right? We can talk about the kind of stick your finger and get a result right now um, type of blood sugar, or we can talk about um, what's called a hemoglobin A1C, which is an average um, of blood sugars over the past about 
90 days or so. And it is kind of, it comes in a percent is what it looks like on the report. And it's kind of the percents of red blood cells that are glycosylated or that have sugars kind of adherent to them. And that percent gives us a measure of, uh, of control. So the ones where we, we stick our finger at home and get a reading right now tells us about this one point in time, um, but it doesn't kind of tell us what's going on other times of the day. So they're, they're equally as important because those ones that we get right now are ones that we can use to make changes in insulin doses or uh, changes in nutrition or food, those kinds of things. Um, and so uh, the A1C gives us, again, that more uh, long-term control picture. So usually an A1C is done every three to six months, depending on how well controlled your blood sugar is. If your blood sugar um, is at goal or your A1C is at goal, a lot of times your healthcare provider may space you out to every six months on that. If it's not at goal, then usually every three months is what we're working with there and normal range stone cold normal range is less than 5.7 percent okay 5.7 to 6.4 is in the pre-diabetes range and then over 6.4 so 6.5 and above is where we start to enter in the range of diabetes so Knowing that number and knowing your number is is power, right? The other two numbers that we talked about are um, when we we check at home and do our finger sticks. And there are two that are usually pretty important. Um, one is a fasting blood sugar, and one is a after the meal blood sugar. And so. Uh, my tip on the after the meal blood sugar is to give your body a little bit of time. I see a lot of folks who will uh, check their blood sugar kind of, you know, maybe 30 minutes or so after they eat and are alarmed when it's high. If your healthcare provider has told you to check it then, then absolutely continue to do that. But if we're just looking to see how well your blood sugar is um, kind of recovering after a meal, then usually about two hours after that meal is when we want to uh, check and see if that blood sugar has come back down to a normal range. So the, the two numbers that we look at are fasting. So first thing before we eat, and I usually say first thing in the morning, but uh, I used to be a night shift worker. So, you know, it's the first thing when you, when you wake up before you eat. And then two, hour, two hours after one of those meals of the day. And I usually tell my patients to vary the meal, right? So maybe today we check after breakfast. Tomorrow we check after lunch. The next day we check after um, dinner and keep that food journal at least for a couple of days so that we can see if there are any particular foods that are just running your sugar way on up. Uh, you know, bananas get a bad rap in terms of, of blood sugar because they are a less fibrous fruit. So sometimes they're seen as sweeter and they are a little bit sweeter. But I have patients who tolerate bananas just fine. And then I have patients whose blood sugar just shoots straight up with a banana. And so being able to kind of correlate your blood sugar to the, your food intake is, uh, is a, a powerful tool that helps us 
um, make some adjustments. So that fasting blood sugar, if you do not have any issues with your blood sugar, um, usually about 70 to 100. But if you do have, if you're, if you have diabetes, then 80 to 130 on the fasting sugar and that after meal somewhere around 140 to 180. So those are a lot of numbers I threw out at you. If you have questions about that, you can give us a call or you can send me an email and I'll be happy to send you out those guidelines. Our email is fit at mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we're talking about diabetes today and how to stay healthy and fit and keep good control of your blood glucose. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring and we have a couple callers on the line, so let's go on and hop over there and talk to Bill in Ridgeland. Good morning, Bill. What can we do for you? Good morning. I wanted to ask a couple of questions about diabetes. Sure. Um, do you agree that there's a direct link between obesity and diabetes? Okay. Yeah. So there, what we know about, um, and I assume you're talking about type two, correct? Yes. 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 So we do know that what we call a correlation, right? So people that have, um, type two, do also tend to be overweight or obese. So it increases your risk for the development of type 2. Um, there are other factors that go into play as well um, that are triggering the insulin resistance piece. Um, but we do know that as we work on weight and weight management, that that does tend to produce better glucose control and um, decrease the risk of diabetes. Uh, in particular, if we have somebody who is uh, kind of pre-diabetic, if we can reduce their weight by five to seven percent, we significantly reduce their risk of developing type two. Okay. Uh, my, my main question is, what do you feel the role of sugar-sweetened beverages is mm. in contributing to the high incidence of diabetes type two? It's, it's a lot. Uh, you know, I mean, sugar-sweetened beverages, um, which can be things like soda um, here in, in Mississippi, it's things like sweet tea. 
And then uh, to a, a lesser extent or less talked about, but fruit juice. Um, you know, fruit juice is often seen as the, the healthy alternative. And while it does have vitamins and minerals in it, it does not have the fiber that slows digestion down and keeps blood sugar from spiking. So um, the consumption of any of those sugar sweetened beverages and that's, you know, Kool-Aid and, you know, that kind of stuff as well provides no nutrition, so to speak, and you're able to consume those calories and sugar in a very short amount of time. Like think about how long it kind of takes to, to down a, you know, a glass of, of sweet tea. You can drink that in, you know, a minute or two. Whereas if you were to eat something that had that same amount of, of calories and sugar in it, it would one, take up more room in your belly and two, take you longer to consume. And so, um, you know, it's often one of the first areas that I start to work with folks on if that's what they feel like they're able to do, right? The, um, it's all about what, you know, what people are, are ready to make changes in. But if I have someone who's, you know, drinking sodas or a lot of juice or Kool-Aid or sweet tea, um, and they're ready to change on that, then that's absolutely one of the um, areas that we start, especially if a large amount of calories are coming from that, because it's going to be very hard to make any any movement in terms of weight or glucose control if, you know, we're consuming three or four or five sodas a day. Yeah, the main thing I'm talking about is um, sugar-sweetened beverages like Coca-Cola and mm -hmm. um, that are sweetened with high-fructose corn syrup. Right. And Dr. Walter Willett at Harvard Medical School has um, written papers on a direct link between sugar-sweetened beverages and the high incidence of mm -hmm. diabetes type 2. And uh, wanted to get your thoughts on what you felt about the high incidence related to consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages that are produced by um, Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, and so forth. Well, you know, as as I said, it's it's more than just those. It's you know all of these added added sugars. You know, at the end of the day, it all boils down to eating real food that hasn't been messed with a whole lot and avoiding high processed foods. So those sugar sweetened beverages absolutely play a role, but they are not the the sole uh, item to blame there. All right, Bill, thank you so much for giving us a call today. And we're going to hop over to Mike, and he's on the road. I hope you're being safe on the road. Mike, what can we help you with? Maybe Mike, you're are you on blank. with us? <laughs> Mike? Are you talking to Frank oh. on the road? Oh, Hello? No, I can be. Are you Are you Frank? I am Frank. Um, hey, Frank, I tell me. Uh, I am not diabetic, but I have a tip for the people. I'm probably pre-diabetic. But anyhow, I have a tip for people suffering from uh, fissures on their heels, cracks on their feet. I suffered from uh -huh. that for, for years and uh, tried all kinds of uh, ointments, lotions, went to my uh, skin doctor and she prescribed something for me. And then finally, about two years ago, I read on the internet that 
Cracks in your feet can be caused by people that take habitual hot baths. What it does is it takes all the oils out of your uh, skin surfaces. And uh, you see that in the skin around your toe if, you, if you're dirty and you soak a lot of that. But anyhow, I stopped taking hot baths and my problems disappeared. Uh, and so the people with cracked lesions on their heels and on their feet, it is a big problem that's hard to remedy. Now, hot baths are a really effective treatment for debridement of burns and other scars. But if you, what I did was I take a hot bath every day I came home from work to kind of get rid of the tensions of the day, and it led to uh, foot problems. Yeah. You, you bring up a, an, an interesting point about that, you know, with, uh, and actually I wanted to talk about feet. So this is an ex. I did not plant this caller, but it is an excellent segue into talking about diabetic foot care and making sure that we take care of our feet. But I'll, I'll address, um, Frank and I'm sorry, I called you Mike. That's um, my bad, but, um, comment about hot water. So our skin you know, is our kind of first line of defense against things. And we can disrupt the barrier of that skin and make us more susceptible to um, infections, um, cracks, and, and things like that. And using too hot of a water it is one of those things. It's extra drying to the skin. Um, and, you know, when we're working with people who have eczema and other dry skin issues, you know, we tell them not to soak in a hot bath um, and, you know, to moderate the temperature of, of their, their um, bath or shower. And the shower is actually better in this instance. And, you know, not linger around in there because that hot water does tend to dry out the skin more, cause more cracking um, and loss of that. Um, that barrier that we have there. Um, some of the other things that can dis <clears throat> disrupt that, um, too harsh of a uh, cleanser. Um, you know, that's why I usually recommend unscented Dove as a uh, as a um, a cleanser um, because anything that's got a lot of perfumes and dyes and all those kinds of things uh, can be very irritating to the skin and, and mess with that skin layer there. Um, and then adequate moisturization and, and hydration. Um, we had a dermatologist on the show a couple months back, and you know her favorite moisturizer was Cerave, um, and I have started using that since she was on the show with us, and have found it to be a, a a nice one as well. Um, also like Eucerin or Aquaphor, those are good, um, good, uh, moisturizers as well. Thinking about the importance of foot care in people who have, um, diabetes, oftentimes one of the complications of longstanding diabetes is that we have some, uh, some nerve damage in particular, what we call peripheral neuropathy, which are those little, um, nerves that feed like our feet and legs and those kinds of things. And so oftentimes sensation is reduced in the feet. And so people may not feel, um, that their shoes are too tight or are pinching or rubbing on their feet or that they stepped on something, or that their water was too hot in the bathtub, especially if they go in feet first. And so looking at our feet every day, 
If you have diabetes, please be looking at your feet every day. Okay? Um, if you can't see all the nooks and crannies of your feet, Ask a family member who loves you and, and will look at your feet to look around in there or use a mirror to try and shine and look on the bottom of your feet. And what I tell patients is look for anything that wasn't there the day before, right? Anything that's red or swollen or a corn or a callus that's forming, cracks around your toes, increased dryness, um, peeling, you know, anything like that, and let your healthcare provider know sooner rather than later so that we can address that. Um, people tend to not heal as well when they have high blood sugar. And so if you've got, you know, a cut or an ulcer or something forming on your foot, we want to get on top of that very, very quickly so that we can get that under control so that, um, you know, we can salvage as much skin and tissue and all those kinds of things as possible. The other um, part of that foot care is washing those feet every day um, and not using super hot water. I usually recommend people test the um, temperature of their water with their elbow. Um, so not their hands or anything like that, but test the temperature of the water with your elbow um, to make sure that it's not too hot before you put your feet over in there and don't soak them. Just put them over in there get them good and clean, wash in between your toes, all that kind of good stuff, and make sure you dry them well. Do not vigorously scrub them with the towel to dry them off. Pat them dry. Make sure you get it good and dry in between your toes as well. We want it to stay nice and dry in between those toes because uh, if it stays wet in there, then that's where we can sometimes get fungal infections and break down and that kind of stuff. And then apply your... Um, moisturizer that, that you're using, but don't put that moisturizer between the toes. All over the heels and that kind of stuff is fine, but don't put it between the toes. We want it to stay nice and dry in there. And make sure you get a yearly foot exam by your healthcare provider. You know, uh, I just recommend when you're going in for your, your annual you, and you have diabetes, just take your shoes off. That way they're already off when the doctor walks in the room and there's just no reason for us not to take a look and, and do um, a sensation test on you there. Um, make sure you cut your nails straight across, not down the sides because we don't want to get those ingrown toenails and gently file those edges. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we're 
we're talking about blood sugar today. And in particular, what are some things that we can do to make sure that we um, limit our complications from having high blood sugar. If you have a question or a comment for us, you can give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring You can email us, fit at mpbonline.org, or you can hop over to Facebook uh, to Healthy Habits with Josie and drop me a message there. I've had some coming in over the last couple of minutes that we will get to, but I want to get to James on the road. Good morning, James. How can I help you? Good morning. My my question is in the mornings at fasting my glucose reading is 140 to 150 okay eaten nothing since six or seven o'clock the day before okay and i'm on i take medication and i take Mm -hmm. it during the mornings and i'm fine after that but my question is i go to bed at night and I'll take a reading, he said, midnight. And uh-huh. I might read 90 to 100. Okay. I make sugar overnight. And that's, I don't, I haven't been able to get a good answer from my doctor or, or anyone, quite frankly, as to why I build up sugar while I'm asleep. Mm-hmm. So are you on insulin or no, no, I take, just oral uh, medicine? I, I take uh, metformin. Okay. Okay. So, uh, and you take both of those early in the day or I take, I take is it the the twice a day? No, no. Take it to 500 milligrams once a day in the morning and a low dose glyburide once a day okay. in the morning. Okay. Um, and what time are you checking that sugar in the morning? I'll take it. Uh, before eating, and it would be between 7 and 9 a.m. Okay, 7 and 9. Okay. All right, so, so it's been about 12 to 14 hours since you've eaten um, when you're taking that. Yeah, okay. Um, not uncommon, um, what you're talking about. I see it fairly um, fairly uh, frequently with folks that I'm working with, and I I didn't um, ask if you check any after-meal sugars. Are your after-meal sugars fine? After-meals are fine. Yes, I do. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. It's also after the after the the, the medication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is a uh, condition called Dawn phenomenon, like D-A-W-N, um, that is. Um, related to an early morning increase in blood sugar, okay? Um, you have some different kind of hormones that, that keep us alive while we're asleep, right? So when we're sleeping, we're not eating and doing those different kinds of things, right? And so um, our blood sugar falls during the nighttime hours. Um, and sometimes people with um, diabetes uh, when they when their liver kind of releases some extra sugar to kind of sustain us while we sleep, um, we're, because of the other hormones that are going on, they're not able to bring that blood sugar back down into a normal range. So while your midnight blood sugar is looking good, you know, you're before bed and midnight blood sugars are looking good, that first thing in the morning blood sugar is higher than what we would expect for it to be. So what might be happening is that somewhere around 2, 3, 4 a.m., your blood sugar is dropping lower um, than we would like for it to be, and your body is kind of over 
reacting to that and, and pushing out a little too much sugar and you're not able to handle that. So one of the ways that we check to see if that's what's going on, check your blood sugar um, in the middle of the night around 2 to 3 a.m. Um, for a couple of nights and see if you're having low, low sugars um, in, during that time. Um, and then you can take that information to your healthcare provider and they can decide if we need to make adjustments to your medication regimen to keep that from, from happening or your food regimen, those different kinds of things. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and, and I understand that my, my body says, okay, you know, it's been 12 hours since you've eaten or 13 hours and mm-hmm. you're starving us. So we're going to have to produce some sugar. <laughs> I, that's that's that was my take on it, but my my next question is: Is that a normal thing? What if I didn't take the medication? Is that just normal for me, or am would I still be considered a diabetic? Because it, it everything else seems to to work like it should after meals, uh, mm-hmm. and I wait a couple hours. I'm I'm in the good range, mm-hmm. of, uh, hundred to hundred and ten. Uh, so, uh, that, that's my real question. I should have, and I, I guess the next step would be to not take the glabaride and lucerna for, for a while and see what happens after in the first well, thing. The first thing to do would be to, to capture that middle of the night blood sugar readings to see if that's what in fact is going on. Right. And okay. then work with your healthcare provider to, change your, you change your medicines if that's what they feel like is important. We don't want to just stop things. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we're timing our medicine administration and the type of medicine to what our glucose patterns are showing us, right? Cause each one of those medicines works on a different part of, of glucose control and have different onsets and durations and all of these different kinds of things. Um, so more knowledge is power. So first we got to see if that's what's going on and then um, perhaps have some medication adjustments to help with that. Yeah. Okay. That, and, and I've done that. What I've done is I went a week and I mm-hmm. took both readings all during the day before meals, after meals. Uh, mm-hmm. I did not, though, you're correct, I did not take any at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And my health care provider asked me if at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning was like waking up jittery and, and mm-hmm. because uh, of some reaction, and I'm, I'm not experiencing anything like that. But we didn't take the uh, reading. So I'll do that and see what happens and get back with, uh, with her. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, and we've been talking about blood sugar today and diabetes and staying healthy and fit while we have diabetes. We've had a lot of great callers. If you've missed any of the show, you can uh, download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and that's the full Southern Remedy lineup you can catch just by searching for Southern Remedy. So... um, The caller before brought up, you know, he mentioned getting jittery or shaky. And I think that's a great time for us to talk about low blood sugar. Um, That is something that, you know, we tend to focus on treating high blood sugar. But when we treat high blood sugar, we can sometimes cause low blood sugar, especially if we're on medicines um, that kind of rapidly bring down blood glucose like insulin. And so we call that hypoglycemia when the blood sugar falls too low. And so how do we know that's happening? Well, there are some symptoms that we can, um, we can look for. And he mentioned feeling jittery or shaky. That's one of them. Um, sweating and it's, um, like a kind of a clammy sweat almost. So more of a cool sweat, not like I'm working outside and got hot sweat. And, um, you know, feeling tired, feeling hungry, feeling thirsty, um, feeling nervous or anxious. All of those are um, symptoms of low blood sugar. Now, in um, folks older than 65 or so, sometimes those symptoms of low blood sugar are less obvious. Um, And that's a a discussion for a a much more in-depth kind of neurological discussion as to why that happens. But um, especially in our elderly patients, a lot of time or people, a lot of times confusion will be the um, symptom of a low blood sugar. Um, So anytime, you know, I'm um, taking care of someone and they kind of have an acute change in in, uh, in confusion, checking that blood sugar to make sure that that's okay is um, an important part. But if you have any of those symptoms of hypoglycemia, checking your blood sugar is one of the ways to go so that we can see what that blood sugar is and then treating it, right? So if you've got a low blood sugar and you're having those symptoms, we want to quickly get some type of sugar on board, some type of sugar that doesn't require a lot of chewing and digestion, right? So juice could be a choice here, right? Because like I said before, why we don't want to have juice on the regular is because it doesn't have any of that fiber in there. And so it brings and shoots sugar up very quickly. Um, But if we've got a low blood sugar, then we're down for that. We want to bring that sugar up quickly, but we don't want to go overboard. So about four ounces of juice is kind of all we would need there. Um, they make glucose tabs, uh, that kind of look like a Necco wafer. If you remember what a Necco wafer looks like, um, that you can buy in the aisle where, uh, where your, the blood sugar machines and the lancets and the alcohol pads and all that stuff is. Um, and depending on the brand, it's usually about three of those, um, to, uh, to take. Cause what we're trying to get is 15 grams of carbohydrates, right? So that's usually about three of those. Um, glucose tabs, depending on the brand. Um, and then um, one other thing that I like to keep is just like some hard candy. Now, we got to be thinking about how long it takes to dissolve hard candy, right? We don't want to go with like a Jolly Rancher. 
when we have a low blood sugar, right? Because I'm talking three pieces of candy. And if we put three Jolly Ranchers in our mouth, it's going to take forever for those things to dissolve and raise our blood sugar. So I actually like to keep um, the peppermints that are puffy. I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about, but they're they're not like the starlight um, peppermints, but the the fluffy ones that are not my favorite, but are very easy to melt in your mouth and crunch up. Um, so, um, and when I say I keep them, I, I don't have um, problems with um, blood sugar, but I do a lot of community events where I'm checking blood sugars and all these kinds of things. So if I find someone with a low sugar like that and I need to raise it quickly, those are shelf stable. They can stay in my, my bag or your bag or car and be um, an easy way to, to raise that sugar. Now, after you've done your 15 grams of carbohydrates to raise that sugar, we want to wait about 15 minutes and check your finger stick again to make sure that we've gotten that sugar up into the normal range. And if we have, if we're there in the normal range, then we want to have a nice little snack, something with a complex carbohydrate and a protein. So maybe something like um, a yogurt or a, a half a peanut butter sandwich or something like that, that is going to sustain us. So our blood sugar does not kind of rapidly fall down again. So we are in the last couple of moments of the show, and I want to kind of make sure we talk about two other really important things that often get uh, not as much time and press when we're talking about diabetes, and that is your kidneys and your eyes, okay? So um, the leading cause of kidney failure. they are two to three times as likely to develop a cardiovascular complication, right? And that's usually what people with diabetes, um, uh, if, if when they pass, it's usually a cardiovascular um, issue, right? So taking good care of those kidneys by watching our weight, watching our salt intake, keeping good control of that blood pressure and taking medica the medications that are prescribed are really important. Other port is getting your kidneys checked at least every year. Okay? That would be a urine sample at your doctor's office for them to check the protein amount in your urine. Okay, Because if we're over a certain amount, we're spilling some protein in our urine and we probably need to add another medication um, to be able to protect your kidneys. Okay? The other thing is your eyes. We really want you to take care of your eyes. Diabetic retinopathy or diabetic eye disease is the leading cause of blindness as well. And so this is getting an eye exam every year. And this is the important part, a dilated eye exam, okay, where they dilate your eye, they put the drops in, dilate it so they can look at the back of your eye. That requires a little bit of planning, right? So a lot of times you're going to need somebody to drive you if once you get your eyes dilated. So a lot of times people come to the eye doctor without a driver and they say, you know, do you want to get your eyes dilated today? And they say, well, no, I have to do X, Y, and Z after this, right? If you have diabetes, you need to let your eye doctor know that you have diabetes and get that dilated eye exam at least every year so that they can take a look at the back of your eye and see if there's any damage that's starting to happen to those vessels back there. 
I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, "Eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere.